It's another episode of Movies You Should Love with Lauren and Scott. Welcome to episode 16 of Movies You Should Love. Uh, I am Scott and... I'm Lauren. And welcome to the podcast. Um, before we get started, I just want to let you know that everything we talk about in this podcast, you can find links to and you can find a little more conversation on at moviesyoushouldlove.com. There'll be a specific page for each podcast. You can go back, you can find previous episodes as well as other fascinating articles that we decide to share and whatnot, as well as you can follow us on Twitter at Movies You Should. Uh, movies You Should Love is basically, we like to think of ourselves as uh, film school without the tuition. Um, it's maybe we might not get that in depth, but we'd like to take a look at uh, classic films as well as some modern films and kind of examine them and see what makes them such great movies. Uh, see what you know lasting imprint they left on uh, on the on cinema, on the world, on entertainment, or whatever. And we just uh, we like to have a little bit of fun here and uh, to kick things off before we get into the uh, movie of this episode, A Night at the Opera. Um, Hugo is a movie I have recently seen. Um, Kelly and I had uh, we had wanted to see this. She had read the book, uh, The Invention of Hugo Cabaret, and uh, we both knew we wanted to see this movie. We just never got the chance to see it for a very long time. And um, we went and saw it in 3D at the local theater. It's probably the last week it's in theaters at this point. Um, I was going to say it's not in. I don't think it's in any theaters up up here where we are. So okay. yeah, I mean it, it is past its prime. It, <laughs> um, and uh, the only showing was in 3D, which didn't really bother me because I was very curious because I heard a lot of people saying that the 3D in this movie was actually pretty spectacular, and that Martin Scorsese really thought this movie out when filming it. Um, and to that, I will say, he did. It is a. It was a very good 3D experience. Um, this movie fascinated me because if you watch the trailer, it looks like Martin Scorsese basically finally made the Home Alone movie he had always wanted to make. <laughs> you know, they, <laughs> it just, that's what it looks like. That's how they advertised it. Um, but a very big part of this film actually is dedicated to uh, George. Uh, Milliers, mm-hmm. is how you pronounce his name, and I did not realize that, <laughs> like, at all. And George Milliers, for those who don't know, is he was really a pioneer in special effects in the very early silent film era of uh, of movie making. And it takes this one little moment in his life, which is his part of the story is absolutely like a true story. You look at it, and it's I did some reading afterwards. That is kind of what happened to him. He, he led this very interesting life in Hollywood, then kind of retired and found himself running a toy store in a train station in France until reporters found him and he kind of had a a little bit of a resurgence back into filmmaking after that Um, fascinating, fascinating story really fun, I mean it's like a two and a half hour movie but it is great Um, and you can really see, once I knew that was what the movie was about and as I left the theater, I understood why Martin Scorsese made this movie it is clearly this very loving um, homage or dedication just like this recognition of where film started mm-hmm. and um yeah it's kind of an ode to the to the absolutely origins of filmmaking almost. it's really cool like at one point like they actually have a lot of they show a lot of Millier's films in the movie and they've actually 3d converted them and they are really startling to see and it's actually really cool i mean it's very flat because it's you know these old 1920 and older uh, films, but seeing them in 3D was kind of cool, and it was a really fun movie. And uh, honestly, I'd recommend it to anybody. And I can see why the Academy uh, Awards are kind of circling around Hugo right now because it is a really solid film, really yeah. fun. 
Very cool. Yeah, it's uh, Martin Scorsese very rarely disappoints me, so uh, that's very exciting. Um, well, speaking of going back to earlier times in cinema, uh, I went back and rewatched. It's I mean, it's been years since I've seen this, but um, the 1961 epic El Cid, uh, which is um, it has Charlton Heston and Sophia Loren in it, and it is basically the story about Spain's greatest hero um, from their history. Um, kind of the the basic premise is that. Um, there's this uh, Charlton Heston's character is this knight who is on his way to his wedding um, when he uh, is basically he he comes upon a um, village under attack and saves the village and um, there were uh, Moors who were attacking um, there's kind of like this big warlord in Africa who's coming into Spain and um, attacking and uh, this is one of the kind of the raiding parties from that it seems like and uh charlton heston basically saves the lives of the leaders of the attack who kind of pledge their unending loyalty to him and dub him the cid or the conqueror basically Mm. um and basically he kind of uh his character you know he's he's a knight he ends up going through the ranks of of the nobility and kind of always stands out as kind of always doing the honorific thing even when it opposes popular opinion or goes against the king or whatever and it, you know at, at one point it puts him at odds with Sophia Loren who he was of course engaged to and there's you know kind of this back and forth in their love story and um, you know he gets exiled from the kingdom at one point and then he has to come back and basically save the kingdom and he, he unites uh, Christians and Muslims to kind of fight off this um impending threat is wow. kind of the I mean it's 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 a huge huge epic movie. I mean this was probably one of the most expensive epic sorts of films that ever came out. It was the second movie ever to have um, a female actress make more than a million dollars. Uh, Sophia Loren was the second person to to ever make a million dollars for her contract. Um, second only to Elizabeth Taylor Taylor when she made Cleopatra. Um, it was shot in um, one of those really wide format cinema. Right. I think it's like super techno rama or something like that. Is what it, you know. Um, but it's it's a huge, huge format um, of film. It the way it worked is is instead of having the perforations on the film going down the side, they went across the top and the bottom, so it gave actually more mm. um, more space to shoot the picture and so like the images are just huge in this you might have charlton heston right at the very front in a close-up and behind him you still have three quarters of the frame of film and you see just armies of you know hundreds and hundreds of of people just like stretching out into the distance it's it's a huge huge kind of movie everything in it is real and um you know there's there's battles and tournaments and uh, giant sieges on castles and um, it's 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 big it's epic and if you haven't seen it you should it's it's really um, it's really really very well done um, you know it definitely has that 1960s acting kind of thing and kind of that writing but if you can if you're okay with that kind of movie which you really should be at this point I mean um, definitely definitely it's it's just a beautiful huge kind of movie it's it's the kind of movie that people make today but 
make in a computer and right. um you know this has the spanish army is the army in it you know nice. it's 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 that kind of a movie and it's it's huge and amazing so yeah um like i said it's been years since i've seen it and i've never actually seen it it's it's crazy good and well worth your time i would say it's you know three and a half hours long and mm-hmm. uh another of those charlton heston epic kind of movies so it uh, i guess ben-hur and uh the ten commandments kind of overshadow this mm-hmm. one maybe a little bit but it was nominated for three academy awards it was i mean it was it was big very big at the time and uh very 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 well worth your time hmm. um i saw a movie that probably completely pales in comparison as far as <laughs> scope goes a very small very intimate film called beginners um stars Ewan McGregor, Christopher Plummer, and a French actress whose name eludes me. But she was the girl in Inglorious Bastards who kind of ran the cinema. Um, that actress. Uh, really interesting movie. Uh, it's a really quirky, kind of introspective. It feels like an independent film. I don't know. I Focus Features released it, but I don't know exactly if a stu- if a stu- how involved a studio was but it's called beginners and it basically you find these different characters all at the beginning of a new stage in their life or a new place in their life and it kind of examines it in a really i found adorable way it i just really enjoyed the movie um and basically in the first five minutes you kind of discover that uh even mcgregor's father played by christopher Plummer, has died um, he died four months after coming out of the closet, kind of re- announcing that he was gay, which he did like two months after his wife died. And his, so his dad's like the 75-year-old man who's kind of entering into this new stage of life going, I've always, I was always gay, but I never really got a chance to figure out what that meant. So I'm going to do that now for the rest of my life. And then he, you know, and so what's interesting, like it kind of starts there. And then we see Ewan McGregor, his story is basically him dealing not only with that revelation from his dad, but most of his story is dealing with the death of his father um, and this new relationship with this girl. And as he experiences things, we kind of do this little bit of a, I guess it's a flashback. We go back and see his relationship with his father and his relationship with his mom as it pertains to the story as and so it's like this really it almost feels like the whole mo- the story is kind of doing like these little loops these little circles as it goes along um and the best word i have for it is introspective because it doesn't feel like you're repeating things but you, sometimes you will see certain scenes two or three times from different angles and it's just a really funny movie it has it has this weird little thing it does where um he get he inherits his dad's jack russell and the Jack Russell talks to him, but it's, but it's like it's subtitled. Like the dog doesn't, either, the dog will just look at him, and a subtitle will appear. And then even McGregor will kind of respond to that subtitle, you know, like, no, of course we're not going to do that. And the dog's like, are we married yet? And he's like, no, no, we're not married yet. He's like, well, we should probably head that direction. He's like, I know, I'm trying, I'm working, okay, you know. It's a, uh, it's a really, it's a really kind of quirky little movie that uh, Kelly and I watched a couple of nights ago, and uh, we both really enjoyed. Um, so yeah, I would, I would recommend it. it's called Beginners, and I actually think Christopher Plummer is nominated for Best Supporting uh, because of this role, um, and deservedly so. It's a it's a very strong film that I really there's nothing I can I don't have anything bad to say about it. Nice. Um, let's see. The only other thing I've really seen here is uh, I did see the movie Source Code, the Jake Gyllenhaal. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of sci-fi and directed by um, the guy who did moon yes did moon it's um 
you know, it's an okay movie. It's it's. Uh, I have nothing really bad to say about it. It was it was pretty solid. I kind of had the the twist of the film figured out. I think a little bit earlier mm. than the reveal really was. Um, but that said, I was um, not expecting that. Like uh, I did, I did not go into it thinking there was going to be a twist. Okay, which is really good. there is no twist. Anyone listening, there is no twist. No. Pay no attention. <laughs> Pay attention to the moment to the background of the curtain. <laughs> um, no, but I think there, there, there is. There's actually two or three kind of reveals near yeah. the end, and I was not expecting. I think the first of them, I went, oh, oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Like, I will say uh, the there's there's kind of a final moment right at the very end, mm-hmm. and that one. I was not quite expecting it, yeah. and I thought that was a very fascinating thing. Um, the rest of it is is just a very it's, it's very solid filmmaking. Um, you know, it definitely keeps you on the edge of your seat. It's very suspenseful, um, and uh, yeah, it's you know if if you kind of like a good, I say sci-fi. It's barely sci-fi. It's it's it's, it's like it has a, a sci-fi foundation, but the yeah. majority of the movie is really just a thriller. Yeah, it's just a thriller um, with a little bit of a mystery. Is this technically a sci-fi? Yeah, yeah. So, um, anyhow, uh, it's it's worth a watch if you if you like a good little thriller, mystery, sci-fi kind of story. (laughs) Um, Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. So that would be. Yeah, uh, I I saw it a while back. I really enjoyed it. Um, We went to the cheap theater and saw it. Um, I didn't like it as much as I liked Moon. Um, mm-hmm. Which I think I read somewhere that technically they're supposed to take place in the same universe. Hmm. I don't know. Like there's been like this rumor, like because the director, writer, director is the son of David Bowie, mm-hmm. and uh, he's been interviewed. That basically, I think he's doing a series of movies that kind of take place in the same universe or world. Which they don't have to. There's no connection that I could see, but in his mind, they do. I don't know. And I apologize if there's a lot of noises coming from my end of this conversation. Yeah, you're actually kind of cutting in and out here just a little bit. All right. Um, we will move forward, I guess, as best as we can, and I hope it gets better. Last night, Kelly and I sat down, and we weren't sure if we were going to be able to sit through this whole movie because we noticed it was two hours and 40 minutes long. It's a long movie. It's a long... Yeah, it kind of go, okay, this is a long movie. Um, but we got into it, and we... We've never seen this particular production of Much Ado About Nothing, which is the movie I'm talking about, um, and we were absolutely enraptured by it. This is not the Kenneth Branagh Much Ado About Nothing, which I think most people have probably seen at this point if you're a fan of Branagh or of Shakespeare. Um, but this is Digital Theater's recent release of David Tennant and Catherine Tate. Uh, they got together last year, back in 2011, and did, on the West End in London, and did a run of uh, Much Do About Nothing and this was like they filmed I think the final production of it the final night of it and they released it and you can you can rent it or you can buy it at digitaltheater.com and there'll be a link to it on our website um, phenomenal phenomenal production I mean this is this is definitely a live recording I mean it's definitely a um, cameras are set up in the theater but it's a phenomenal um, production of this I mean David Tennant and Catherine Tate are two of my favorite uh, people from Britain right now. Um, I've talked about David Tennant before on the podcast, former Doctor Who, and Catherine Tate actually um, was on his last season as the Doctor. That she was his companion, and so ever since then they've been trying to get back together. And so they got together to do this. Uh, much to do about nothing. Um, so much 
uh, sorry, Kenneth Branagh. I, I, I love Kenneth Branagh, but this is so much better. I mean, it's there's a live audience, and so they get the jokes. They're in on it, and so there's this extra energy to it. Keanu Reeves isn't in it. Um, <laughs> Darn. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, Catherine Tate like really is able to shine as a comedian in this uh, particular production. And you can really see where... Um, I'm sure she a big inspiration for her was Lucille Ball, and they give her so much to do in this, in between dialogue and in the background of things. They really allow her to be funny, and like, it's like afterwards, Kelly and I were talking about it, and she goes, "This is what I want out of theater, especially out of Shakespeare." She's like, "You know, I want to be, I want it to be funny, I want it to be sad, I want it just to be constantly entertaining," and. Uh, it really is. It's much ado about nothing. I think they might be releasing it on DVD sometime in the future, but for now, the only place you can get it is at uh, www.digitaltheater.com. Like I said, you can rent it or you can buy it. And we bought. I just went ahead and bought it. Um, but it is a high def, very, very good looking. It's like it's really one of the best um, live filming type of things I've ever really kind of seen it's like it's there's a couple times a couple angles don't quite work because the actors are too close to the lights but for the most part uh, great and if you like Shakespeare if you like David Tennant if you like Catherine Tate uh, much ado about nothing it's fantastic really enjoyed it nice alright well um, I guess that brings us to the movie everyone has gathered here today to discuss which is the classic Marx Brothers comedy A Night at the Opera Yes uh, Released in 1935 This was the 6th of 13 Marx Brothers movies um, It was the first movie They made for MGM They had made several for RKO Universal uh, Yeah I believe something like that One of them. So we'll go with that <laughs> If not, uh, you can look it up on Wikipedia, which I'm sure is more accurate than what we're saying. There's information there. Yeah. Very reliable. That's where we get all of our information. <laughs> or Wikipedia, <not>. little IMDb. <laughs> uh, no. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it was their, their first film with MGM, and... Uh, when they got to MGM, they started working with a new producer there, and um, all of their movies that they had done previously, um, they basically were a whole collection of... Um, vaudeville sketches kind of tied together mm-hmm. with a really loose story kind right. of at, at best like um, this was introduced almost after they got their skits together and like well this is how we can connect them yeah um and then uh when they got to mgm the the their new producer was like no any movie that you make has to have a solid story mm-hmm. and then we'll put the sketches in and so uh you can see that in this movie it's very um it's very funny. It's very sketch centric. Mm-hmm. You know, not to not to take any emphasis off of that. No. But every everything in it does play to the greater story for the most part. Yes. Um, not that the story is significantly greater, but <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, it, it plays towards no. But yeah, I mean, it's you're, like, you like the opening scene. Mm-hmm. You might you is takes place in a restaurant, and while it doesn't necessarily further the plot along it does introduce our main character and what he's there for what he's doing mm-hmm. introduces kind of the main antagonist type character um you do so you I mean, everything in the, even within the sketches and the sketch itself is a very funny just him talking to you know the girl he's dating and then going and introducing this person and doing all of this it's it's very saturday night live sketch type mm-hmm. of thing but it does 
uh, begin the story and everything does somehow tie into that bigger, like you said, story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, which is something I think it's very interesting that, um, I don't know if I had planned on touching on it quite yet in this, but, uh, mentioning Saturday Night Live, that's honestly, that's what this movie feels like to me is like a Saturday Mm -hmm. Night Live movie. Um, like, you know, anything that, that Will Ferrell or, or, you know, any of those guys have kind of come out and done after they did Saturday Night Live. That's, I mean, this movie is like the early version of that. It's, it's, and that's really, that's a, that's a great comparison. I hadn't thought of. Yeah. And it's really to no surprise because if you think about who's making these movies, they're very similar. Mm -hmm. The Marx Brothers got their start on vaudeville. Um, and so they were touring on vaudeville and then they started, then they went to Broadway and then they went to, uh, to movies. Mm -hmm. And I think there was a stop in radio somewhere on the way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Basically. Um, and then when you look at the most of the cast of Saturday Night Live, you have a lot of comedians who start with stand-up comedians or as sketch comedians in different uh, venues across America. And then they get on Saturday Night Live, which is a big sketch show. And then from there, they go into movies. And so they're really kind of taking a very similar style of comedy or very similar type of comedian who's going to approach storytelling probably in a similar way. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's kind of the the thing with this is it's um, it is a collection of sketches mm-hmm. but they're hilarious it's i mean it's very um i mean when you look at the different marx brothers who are in this there you know there are more marx brothers than appeared in this movie there's five marx brothers total which i right. did not realize right. <laughs> but um, only three appear in this movie right and yeah um and uh you know you've got groucho cheapo and harpo and yeah. um they are they each have their own character which have been long developed for them at this yes. point. I mean, they each come in fully invested in these fully characters. Fully realized, yeah. yeah. And like, yeah. Um, as soon as you see them, you recognize them. You know exactly what you're going to get from mm-hmm. Harpo or Groucho. You know exactly what to expect. Yeah. And and what's fantastic is that each character brings a different type of comedy mm-hmm. to this movie. So Groucho is just this sarcastic... Um, dialogue banter dialogue banter. banter i mean he's just hilarious his one liner one liner one yeah um you know uh, in comparison um you get chippo who is uh chico, chico i'm sorry i keep saying chippo <laughs> chico who is um just kind of this he, he's a little more sly he's a little more mm-hmm. broad mm-hmm. um a little quieter uh but everything he does is kind of like the subtle humor um, it's through characterization or through right. subtle movement or or that kind of thing. And, it's, and then you have Harpo, who's like the Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, he's just big clown does, movements. He never big. has a line in any of the movies. Mm-hmm. He is just a silent uh, comedian, and he is hilarious in yeah, his own it, way. Exactly. Um, and so when you get all of these things, you go from just like this witty, sharp, barbed one-liners all the way to like you know, clown antics that are just huge and bigger yeah. than life. And it just makes for a hilarious, especially when they're all working off of each other. Oh man. When they get all to like, I love the Groucho scenes. Mm-hmm. I could just watch a collection of Groucho forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when you get all three of them together, it is just, it is fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's really pretty magical. And it's amazing that they actually are all brothers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's I, not just like, it's not just like three stooges who came together and did their thing. Mm-hmm. These are, three out of five brothers who grew up together and developed comedy together said hey we can make mm-hmm. people laugh let's do that yeah exactly um so yeah it's uh you know i think going into it we're just going to say it's a very funny sort of movie um you know and kind of again that that warner brothers cartoon 
uh, yes. or you know just very very slapstick very hilarious kind yeah, of way I mean, watching this movie um really kind of for me cemented where bugs bunny obviously came from mm-hmm. you know, if, if not the same if if not just the same timeline the same same time period clearly bugs is a exploration of the groucho character you know yeah. <laughs> um, down to the fact that one of bugs's key lines that he repeats in some of his shorts comes from this movie of course you realize this means war <laughs> you know Groucho says it in this movie and he says it in another one but I was reading and they very directly lifted it and gave it to Bugs mm-hmm. you know it's like it's really funny to see that Yeah, and even just the way Groucho the way he antagonizes people who antagonize him and the way he responds to people mm-hmm. is very Bugs funny so it, it's almost it's a if you have never seen the Marx Brothers almost expect a live action you know Looney Tune cartoon because that's basically what you're going to get yeah exactly um you know, and that, that said, uh, it has a decent story. Well, you're getting to story, and it's uh, it's a very simple story. It's a story of an opera company that is moving from Italy to New York, mm-hmm. and um, there is a really hateful lead singer who has mm-hmm. the the main part, and then there is an up and coming chorus member mm-hmm. who wants to be the lead singer, but of course he has no fame or you know clout behind his name and so right. and he is in love with the lead actress who is also in love with him but must go to new york without him to but then perform Groucho accidentally signs him thinking he's right. signing the lead guy and so then he gets pulled in on this adventure they all stow away on the steamship it's yeah. you know it everything kind of builds on itself and yeah. um and that's what's fantastic is is when you get into to these places where it starts building on itself um you know you get something like a plot element like they stow away on a steamship right. you know and that turns into an extended what 5 or 10 minute scene yeah. of this small cabin on a steamship, and I say small cabin, like literally, he's been Groucho's character has been shoved in like the smallest cabin, like like it also houses the boiler for the ship or something. Right, it houses the boiler, and like he he thinks he's getting like the presidential suite, but apparently the guy who like the antagonist, the guy who's also trying to run his own mm-hmm. musical thing, has basically given given him this state's room, which is just I mean, it's barely big enough to fit his suitcase in, as which well, is right. which is part of the joke, but then. You know, but then uh, suddenly, like it seems like fifty people are in his I, tiny I room. Reading, I think it's literally they literally put fifteen people yeah, in I think there. It's fifteen, but it's like it, the people just keep coming, and they go, "Oh, here's that thing you ordered. Oh, yeah, come on in. Oh, hey, I'm here to mop the floor." It goes, "Oh, well, um, you better start on the ceiling. There's enough room right now." <laughs> you know, yeah. and they just keep bringing people in until, like you were saying earlier, it's like the inverse of the clown car. Yeah, which know? is which is something I think that's interesting to explore here with the Marx Brothers is that. I mean, this is really what they are doing, is they are bringing their vaudevillian humor, which was a stage creation. Mm-hmm. And you could never do this gag quite like this on the stage, because it just right. wouldn't work. Um, but, you know, on a stage, in a circus, wherever, you would see something like a clown car, which mm-hmm. is the inverse of this idea. It's, you know, this tiny space, and like, you know, people 20 keep people coming keep coming out of it. Out of it. Yeah. This is kind of that opposite thing, where it's like, okay, let's show the inside of the clown car as we keep stuffing more and more people into it. I mean, that's right. basically what's going on here. And so they've taken their their stage ideas and blown them up to film-sized as basically right. 
is right. basically what's going on. And, 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 that and it's sequence, hilarious. That sequence in particular really made me think of uh, I Love Lucy. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think I Love Lucy ever did a joke like that, but it was very much in that same vein of like the bread that comes out of the oven and pushes Lucy against the, the walls. Like mm-hmm. It's that same thing. And like even Harpo even appeared on an episode of I Love Lucy. So these are definitely contemporaries to each other who yeah. are you know, kind of feeding off each other. And I think it's, it was really kind of neat to see. So if you like, again, if you like, I love Lucy, there's probably a lot in here that you're going to like too. Yeah. It, um, you know, you get something, it's interesting because you have like these huge set pieces like this kind of, which are just these big, you know, over the top gags that they're pulling. And then there's also a sequence uh, where Chico sits down at a piano and it's just him surrounded by basically a bunch of kids and he starts playing the piano and it's just it's a, a you know lovely little tune that he's playing but he plays it with such panache just with like- such panache it's it's hilarious because he's he's doing things like you know making his fingers move funny i mean it's it's hard to explain like, there's, there's a couple times it looks like he's like shooting the keys with his finger you know like the right. way you make a finger gun but he's like he's like tapping the key but the way he does it, it looks it's just like he's shooting it, it shoot it to make, and the, make the, the kids sound. just love it and yeah. you in the audience just love and, it and you know it's it's <laughs> it's probably a minute and a half in the film and it's just a sweet little moment and it's just this beautiful subtle comedy that's you know, in the midst of kind of this big, louder sorts of comedy. And then Harpo comes in after Chico is done playing, and Harpo comes in, and he sits down to play the piano. And it's the same set, the same um, gag. I mean, it's it's somebody it's playing... The ca- play, same camera setup. Same camera setup. Somebody playing a piano funny is the concept. <laughs> right. But he comes in, and he plays it well but like a clown yes it, it, you know things slam on his fingers and everything um, goes wrong he everything goes wrong the chair up and it's like it's a lot of those classic yeah and it's it's just a fantastic piece that really shows kind of these two different ways to almost handle the same scene mm-hmm. um and two different ways to do comedy all kind of blended together into one film and yeah. um it's, that kind of thing is fantastic Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think this might be a good time, Lauren, mm-hmm. to discuss a question that was presented to us yeah, um, by a listener, yeah. by, by a friend of the show, Chris Small. Indeed. Yeah, no, we were um, we were basically asked, kind of, because uh, I, think, I think something that Scott and I have done a lot in our podcasts up to this point is we've kind of said, you know, kind of in our summary wrap-up at the end, like, why is... you know, uh, why is Yankee Doodle Dandy rated higher than Ben-Hur? Or something like that. And we kind of get into this this concept of is this movie better than that movie, and why is it rated higher on this list that we are going through? Right. Um, And so, the question was kind of posed to us is, what is the importance of a list like the AFI Top 100? Is it a list that is truly like here is the order of the top 100 films of all time like you know these are them or is this just a list of the top 100 films of all time in no particular order they just happen to have used numbers instead of bullets right or is this a um you know is is one movie empirically better than another and what is kind of the importance of this is it important that one movie is better than the other or ranked higher than another right um or you know kind of what is the meaning of a list like this? Yes. Um, 
all of that to say, uh, on the one hand, I don't think we have a really perfect answer to this question, because I think it's going to, to change for each person. I think we have to preface yes. anything we say by saying that. Um, because I think, at their heart, movies are very subjective sorts of things. And, um, I mean, we're only, what, 16 movies into this now? Is, yes. Yeah. And there have been a couple movies that we have not been huge fans of that are in this. And yet there are people who love those movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are probably movies that we have gushed about that some people are saying they're going like... Hey, what? Really? <laughs> Why would anybody... Yeah. Um, and so, uh, I don't know. Scott, do you want to weigh in a little bit on this? Yes. And like you said... <laughs> I don't know if I have a perfect answer, but basically I have my answer, (laughs) which is the first is to say, I'm not entirely sure how this list was put together outside of the very perfunctory um, every 10 years, basically the AFI puts it to artists, rate your favorite movies, you know, vote on your favorite movies. So I think part of this list is, you know, a lot of people agreeing that Citizen Kane is the number one movie of all time. There's a lot of people who agree on that, and there's a lot of other Casablanca movies. number two, and right? So forth. The Godfather, you know, these movies are people. Everybody agrees this is a fantastic movie, and mm-hmm. um, and so I think there is a little bit of a trickle down where some people, apparently, not everybody, puts Toy Story in the top 100, mm-hmm. but it is number 100, so it is kind of important, or it's number 99. Um, it is important in that regard that a lot of people look back to that movie. Um, so there's that, mm-hmm. uh, which is not a perfect answer in any way. And then <laughs> number two, what I kind of, I want, there was a word that you said that I completely agree with, which is subjective. Um, anytime you look at art, and I would argue probably these 100 films are all art, um, you're going to get different people, you're going to get different responses. If, I'm, if you ask me to make my 100 top movies, even if it wasn't just my favorite, but the 100 movies I think are important, half of these movies probably wouldn't be on that list because I'd be talking about movies that were important to me or movies mm-hmm. that I view as things that are worth watching. Um, and so it is very subjective. And so you're going to get, like you say, you're going to get in some of these movies just go, this just is not for me. Why is this movie so lauded? Um, and so I don't think this list exists completely to be a, like, I have a hard time calling A Night at the Opera an important movie. You know, like, where Platoon, I feel like, really kind of told a story that not everybody's going to be able to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Like, Oliver Stone had something to say about something he experienced and told that story. And it was an important movie for that. And Night at the Opera, not so much. But what can be said about Night at the Opera is that it's 2012, this movie is 87 years old, and it is still one of the most hilarious ways to spend 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, it is a very well-honed, well-crafted piece of comedy. And I think comedy is something that a lot of people take for granted. They think it, comedy, really, all you have to do is fart into a microphone and, ta-da, <laughs> we made a comedy. This, I mean, this movie, when when they signed on to MGM, MGM said, okay, you have a script, great. Now we want you to take this some of these scenes on the road, go in, and perform some of these scenes in front of our, some of our other movies in a road show, um, to hone it, to find out what the audience responds to, see what they find funny, what they don't find funny, fix, and f- see what they find funny so you can build silences into the movie mm-hmm. to allow the audience to laugh so they don't miss any of the lines in the rest of this comedy. So this is a very well-crafted film, which I will say 
I'm also going to go out on a limb and say all the other 99 movies we're going to review are also very well-crafted pieces of, of cinema. Mm-hmm. So there is that to be said for these as well, is that while you might not necessarily respond to mm-hmm. A Night at the Opera, you can't argue that it's not a well-thought-out, well-put-together movie that other comedies should, you know, if I was going to sit down and make a comedy with you today, I would say we need to watch A Night at the Opera because that is a comedy that has lasted 90 years and still is hilarious mm-hmm. there's things we can learn from it um in that regard mm-hmm. so yeah well i was gonna say jumping into that a little bit um you know definitely this this list i would say is a subjective list of the people asked um and so i think that's an important key because i mean if you were to go to say imdb or something like that and look at their list based on the ratings that people have given movies there. Right. You know, that's going to be a completely different list than this list. Uh, not completely. I mean, I think there's a ton of crossover on the list. Right, but it is probably important to notice that this is American films. Right. Um, and uh, kind of more than that, uh, you know, uh, yeah, we. I know we do touch on sometimes kind of the whole, why is this ranked higher or not? Um, and I think that's that's a valid thing anytime things are ranked to have that discussion just a little bit. At the same time, I don't think, even if there's a movie that Scott and I do not respond to or one of us doesn't respond to, that doesn't necessarily negate the value of that movie. There's still right. some value to it that caused enough people who were asked mm-hmm. to name things to put it in their reasons. And so that's part of what we're trying to do on this podcast is... Um, it's not necessarily movies you should enjoy. Right. Because you're not going to enjoy every movie. But there's a reason all of these movies on this list are loved. Mm-hmm. And so we're here to kind of try to explain why that is and maybe why you should love them even if you don't like them. We could, yeah, we could, we could just, we could almost call this podcast Movies You Should Respect. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's almost that kind of a list, I feel mm-hmm. like, where... Um, I'm not going to repeat what you just said because you said it very well. <laughs> I, I agree completely. Yeah. So, um, and yeah, you know, so I mean, taking this movie, it would be almost impossible to go a night at the opera versus platoon versus El Cid versus right. Yankee Doodle Dan. You cannot have that discussion right. because every single one of those movies exists in a completely separate place. Absolutely. Um, and so I think the rankings on here, I think, I think you get into like the top 20 of these movies and it's maybe a little bit less, maybe a little bit less subjective. I think Mm -hmm. people at that point start going like, no, and these really are the top 10 movies, the top 20 movies of all time, you know, Citizen Kane, Casablanca, High Noon, what, you know, whatever's there, like these movies. Yes. I think once you start getting away from that a little bit is when it starts getting even more subjective. Yeah. And, you know, and at, at this point, that's why we're going through these movies. You may not have seen them, but they are loved movies, and they are loved for a reason. Think, and they've been, you know, they've been put into the Smithsonian uh, archives or, or wherever. And there's reasons for that, right? And I think it's important to also recognize that they might each of these might be on the list for completely different reasons. Mm-hmm, exactly. You know, you know, some of these movies might be the number one film of all time. Mm-hmm. just because of what it did not mm-hmm. necessarily because of the content of the film but because of mm-hmm. certain things it did at that time period you know I, even Toy Story which is one of my favorite films you might be able to argue it might not be one of the most important even animated films mm-hmm. of all time but the fact that it was the first feature length 
computer animated movie made it like a milestone in the animation story. Well, I was going to say, I think, I think the other movie that's on this list um, that's animated is Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, I right. believe. And that's very and, telling, I Yeah, think. because, you know, you can look at the entire run of Disney movies, of, of Disney cartoons, and I would certainly never argue that that is, the, is my most enjoyed of the Disney cartoons. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd probably go with like a Robin Hood or Great Mouse Detective or, <laughs> yep. you know, anything along that. Uh, or even some, some of the more modern ones like The, the Lion the King, or, yeah. which you look at The Lion King and when it, it broke mm-hmm. so many records. So it's clearly mm-hmm. a movie that a lot of people responded mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. and loved. And it even broke records when it was really re-released in 3D, you yeah. know, recently. So it's, it's, it's hard to say. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the fact that Snow White and Toy Story are the two animated films, you kind of go... There's something to be said about that in that comparison mm-hmm. because they were first. They exactly. did something that changed the way that we look at the way we told stories. Yeah, yeah. And you know, and not all of these movies are on here because of that. Some of them oh. have social commentary that that matters, or some of them are just funny, funny movies like this one. Yeah, that are just a prime example of comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, it's it's not so much that this is necessarily. Um, the best movie ever or anything but it is certainly yeah. a hilarious movie that shows comedians at the top of their craft absolutely and absolutely you know, and that's that's a fantastic reason for watching this movie mm-hmm. you know and uh yeah so i hope that answers your question chris <laughs> if not <laughs> that's, that's uh somebody else who might be listening uh right now um because I mean, you know and but you know please weigh in come get on the website and let us know what you kind of think about this list as you look back at the the 15 other films we've already reviewed and uh, the 85 to come. Um, if I did my math right, uh, you know, Close let us enough. you know kind of let us know what you think about this list because it is an interesting conversation to, to be had. And mm-hmm. I think we're just a couple of years away from a new vote on the AFI Top 100. Hopefully, um, just about the time we finish this list. Hopefully, fingers crossed. <laughs> um, but it'll be interesting to see what happens because, like for example, right now on the list. Uh, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring is on there, and it's the first time it had ever been on the list, because they basically voted right after it came out, I think. And so, it'll be interesting to see if that movie moves up, if that movie moves down, if the rest of the Lord of the Rings show up on that list. Mm-hmm. Or if uh, they combine it into one entry, or, right. you know, who knows what they'll do with it. Like, what, what will drop off? Will Toy Story at 99, will that move up? I'm betting mm-hmm. it will, just mm-hmm. because more people are voting on it now that have kind of grown up with that movie. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, will Yankee Doodle Dandy fall off the list or will it stay there? You know, it, it's, it's interesting to see how our appreciation for certain films changes over the years. Mm-hmm. And I kind of look forward to that ongoing conversation. So please, please weigh in. Yeah. Um, but back to uh, uh, Night at the Opera. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't necessarily given our opinion on it here, Scott. I mean, we've, yeah. I think we've talked a lot about it, but... Uh, kind of, kind of do a summary here. What are you thinking at the end of the day with this movie? As a, um, you'll be hard pressed, as I said earlier, you'll be hard pressed to find a comedy that is so well put together that will that will consistently make you laugh. Um, that being said, it might not be your style, but because of the nature of the Marx Brothers, specifically, you know, the three Marx Brothers that are in this film, I think there's a bit of comedy in here for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do have to, you know, there might you might have this thing. You go, this movie is almost ninety years old. There's just no way it's funnier than Bridesmaids. Um, it is. It's funnier than Bridesmaids. <laughs> you know, it's funnier than The Hangover um, by far, in my opinion. Um, 
it is absolutely worth you checking out. It's it's ninety minutes of solid, solid comedy that I think again, it's like if you like well crafted banter, you know, Groucho's there for you. If you like slapstick, here's Harpo. <laughs> you know, it's like everything and, here is the only thing that might the only things that stand out to me as something that's clearly a ninety year old movie trope is there are a couple times where the story stops so somebody can sing a song and that's the songs are definitely products of their time and are not represented in any pop culture today really Mm -hmm. um unless you're an opera enthusiast then you might recognize them Mm -hmm. yeah Um, weirdly enough the opera numbers stand up a little better than a couple of the more popular style songs like like the opera at the end actually plays significantly better than like the the couple of popular type and it's it's interesting because it has a very strong three-act structure to the whole film and so there's three very big set pieces so if you kind of don't find the opera especially hilarious don't worry they're about to spend another 30 minutes on a steamboat going across the ocean and then if that starts to as soon as that starts to get old as soon as they run out of material there they move to new york and there's you know comedy to be had there um there's a it's just a very well it's a funny movie that if you like comedy it's like a lot of people are going to a lot of people kind of argue that this is one of the funniest movies of all time and it's one of the Marx Brothers' best movies. I think it's also kind of interesting that the Marx Brothers have two movies on this list. Um, in about 20 episodes, we'll be talking about Duck Soup. Um, mm-hmm. The Marx Brothers are definitely worth your time. I think they're they're hilarious. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's. I would pretty much agree with everything Scott said. Um, you know, it's definitely a product of its time. Um, but that said, it's hilarious. It you know, despite being almost 90 years old times haven't changed that much that that the humor is lost at all i mean it's it's there may be a couple of jokes that fall a little flat but i mean i think you could say that about almost every comedy ever made and um and for me the jokes that fall flat are the ones that i found out were references to things that were taking place in the 30s yeah there's a joke in the movie where the guy goes these are duplicates duplicates you know duplicates are right the guy goes, oh, yeah, those five kids up in Canada. And you go, what? And I looked it up, and at the time, there was a, um, uh, there were quintuplets in Canada that were kind of touring around as like, look, we had five children. We had five identical babies. And so it's, it's a reference to that, which doesn't carry over 90 years later. Mm-hmm. But for me, those were the jokes that kind of fell flat. Yeah. Um, but, you know, aside from that, you, you definitely would not have... Um, bridesmaids or hangover or uh, you know even less broad comedies like you know anything even more subtle um you know that stuff would not exist in the way it does today without you know pioneers like the marx brothers coming in and and setting a tone for film Mm -hmm. and and creating a a certain style and i mean this movie it, it yeah it's it's a lot of fun so and something you mentioned earlier before the podcast, the Marx Brothers are genuinely funny people. Yes. You know, I it's, mean, it's not like somebody wrote a funny script and gave it to a comedian, I mean, to an actor or an actress, and we're like, and now you say these lines, and these lines are funny as long as you can say them right. Yeah, like, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of uh, Groucho's show that he did for, I mean, what, like 30 years or something, um, of You Bet Your Life. It was a game show, a quiz show kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And he is just witty and hilarious throughout the entire show i mean just uh, the game itself is not that much fun mm-hmm. but listening to groucho do his hosting mm-hmm. and just making fun or you know saying outrageous things to just normal everyday people is hilarious mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and uh yeah it's 
they're they're just it's they're hilarious people i think on and off the screen and i think that that really translates you know absolutely their craft was so well honed mm-hmm. so i think that's it uh, already that was number 85 on america's uh the fi top 100 uh one night i keep wanting to say one night at the museum it's one night at the opera <laughs> or a night at the opera a night at the opera I can never get the title right. I'm going to stop talking now. (laughs) Fair enough. All right. Um, Well, yeah, next time we will be doing, I believe, number 84 on AFI's Top 100 Films list, which is the counterculture classic Easy Rider. So um, definitely a huge change in pace for us from this particular film. So um, we will see you next time, and we'll uh, catch you then. And I'm still not talking. (laughs) You've been listening to the Movies You Should Love podcast. Join in the conversation at moviesyoushouldlove.com. 